You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to Astros Baseball, a podcast by a fan for the fans of the Houston Astros. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Astros Baseball Podcast. We are continuing our week of women in baseball. I am so excited for you guys because today we get to speak to Jill Guerin of the Visalia Rawhides. They are a single A, single a affiliate of the, of the Diamondbacks. Um, welcome, Jill. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Michelle. I'm excited for today. Uh, yes, I am always excited to speak to um, to. to uh, speak to fellow baseball lovers but especially a fellow female in baseball that just makes it even better okay um i just want let's get started so how did you um because i know that you played uh softball in college and high school but um how did you develop uh or how did you get involved or develop your love of baseball and what are the two biggest differences between uh the uh, softball and baseball? Yeah. So I first started playing baseball actually when I was six years old. And then I transitioned to softball when I was eight and I started loving the games. It was something my dad and I could do. We could go play catch, hit ground balls to me, things like that. And we would go to baseball games together. We would score the games every time we went it'd be a lot of fun that was how i kind of learned the strategy of the game and understands the little bits and pieces that make baseball so beautiful um just learning the rules of the game by scoring the game every time i went with my dad and then you're right i played softball in high school and in college at emerson college um so my love for baseball and softball kind of go together where to me, they're the same thing. Of course, there's differences in sports, but they, to me, have the same love, if that makes sense. Um, and then in terms of just the difference in sports, obviously the field is smaller with baseball. It's only, or with softball, rather. It's only 60 feet instead of 90 feet between bases. Um, you know, the, the normal things where the pitcher throws underhand, baseball, it's overhand, things like that. But in terms of the actual strategy of the game that's different that some people might not understand is because of how small the field is in softball, bunting is way more important. Bunting and slapping because there are these girls who bat left-handed and they are able to run forward in the box, lay a bunt down and make it down to first base in less than three seconds. So that's a really big part of the game. And I think that's something that 
people who are baseball fans don't fully appreciate in softball of how much quicker paced softball is. Uh, uh, that's <laughs> the speed, uh, the speed that you just mentioned. That's incredible. Um, I'm left-handed, so um, I'm not a very good softball player or <laughs> baseball player, but darn it if I don't love it and darn it if I don't try hard. Um, <laughs> uh, so your dad was born in Massachusetts and I know you were born in California because when I was reading, uh, when I was reading about you, I was like, how did she was born? How did you get a California board Red Sox fan? It then I realized um, who were some of the Red Sox players growing up, uh, and who were some of the uh, you know sports figures growing up that you really looked up to. Yeah, the first one that comes to mind is Pedro Martinez. Um, he was actually my first crush, so it was a really big deal when I got to meet him. <laughs> um, yeah. I used to associate the Red Sox as Pedro instead of saying are the Red Sox playing today I would say dad is Pedro playing today like that was who I cared about when I was six seven eight years old <laughs> but he was a big one David Ortiz was a huge part of my fandom for the Red Sox Dustin Pedroia um Jacoby Ellsbury of course was a big one for all the young girls he was big for me in middle school and early high school. So of course he took over Pedro's part of the crush of the Red Sox. So, um, but yeah, Pedro and, and Ortiz are definitely the big ones for me. Yeah, I, um, I mean, I, I grew up an Astros fan, so it was a similar situation where my dad really just kind of helped develop and foster my love for baseball. And then I kind of took it from there. And now he calls me, and asked me, hey, you know what's going on with such and such? It's 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 kind of cool. The tables have turned. But um, what would you say? Um, so Pedro and Ortiz are your favorite players. What would you say are some of your of the best moments you've experienced as a Red Sox fan? And what are some of the least favorite experiences mm -hmm. you've had as a Red Sox fan? Hmm. Well, it's tough because when the Red Sox broke the the curse in 04, I was only eight years old. So of course, a lot of people say that was the best Red Sox moment for them. But I mean, that was the start of my fandom. That was the start of me being a fan. So I can't really say that. Um, I think the 2013 World Series run was the biggest one for me. I was, I believe, a junior in high school that year. And that was the same year that the Boston Marathon bombings happened. And to just to be able to see how a city um, came together around a baseball team, around sports, how when they did win in 2013, they took a moment during their parade to stop and have a moment of silence at the, uh, the marathon finish line. Just seeing how important a baseball team and a sports team can be to a city was really cool to me. And that really solidified me wanting to work in sports. Um, in terms of worst memories as a Red Sox fan, I mean, like last year wasn't that great. They didn't do well. Um, it's not really specific moments for me as a Red Sox fan that I've lived in, but more just really bad teams. I, I can handle the Red Sox being in the race for the playoffs and not making it, being in the race, being in the postseason and not winning. I can handle that, but it's when we don't even have a competitive team to watch. That's when it's really hard for me to be a Red Sox fan. 
Man, I've got to say that I felt for you guys so bad. And when I say you guys, I mean Red Sox fans when, you know, they tra- like they traded away Benintendi. And mm-hmm. I just, I mean, you guys have Kike Hernandez, though, now. So he's pretty entertaining. Um, yeah. It'll be but, fun to see him and Diego together. I'm really, yeah, I'm really excited for y'all this season. Um, now, uh, I wanted to ask you about, you did an article uh, with the um, uh, with Zach Buchanan from The Athletic about some of your ex, um, negative experience, well, a very profound experience uh, that occurred when you were 16 years old. Um, and how has that shaped your journey uh, as uh, you seek out a career, as you sought out a career in sports? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's definitely affected me as a person. And it was interesting when, when Zach reached out to me to write that article, when he asked me, or rather he told me, I want this article to be about you as a woman in the booth and going into baseball. I know about your history of being a sexual assault survivor. I don't know how much that is a part of your story, but if it has any part of it, I want to help you tell it. And that was the first time I had to really sit back and think, how has this affected my career? Because it actually happened when I was 14, but when I was 16 was the first time I told someone about it. So when something that traumatic happens to you at 14, like that's the my my life hasn't happened yet. You know, like what are the big milestones that happened before you're 14? Um, so it's was more so how has that affected me, which has then made me who I am, which has allowed me to be able to break into this male dominated industry. So I think one thing that it's done is, I mean, I had to go to therapy when I was 16, 17 years old, and those are really developmental years So I think just being able to talk to a professional, not only about being a survivor and dealing with the post-traumatic stress disorder with that, but also just dealing with being in high school and how much that sucks and how much you learn about yourself. So I think going to therapy in general was just really beneficial for who I am now. And in terms of being a woman in a male-dominated industry and having to deal with some Um, people lashing out, some negative experiences, it's made me very confident in who I am. Um, I'm very confident that I can get through anything in life because I've already been through one of the most traumatic experiences a woman can go through. So I feel like I can take on the world and that's where I'm able to just say okay to anything and know that I can make it. Yeah, I have the utmost respect and um, admiration for you. And just the more I get to read about you and your career and like your attitude and your work ethic, like I just, heck, I've like, I'm, I'm a huge fan. uh, I gotta say, (laughs) very, very excited. So prior to uh, working as the play by play for uh, Visalia, you worked uh, calling, um, you worked as a guest anchor for the Weekend Morning Sports Show in Nashau, New Hampshire. And mm-hmm. then you also did a life play-by-play and color analysis for the Silver Knights in Nassau. Um, how did that, uh, what ex- 
experience, like what was your experience in that role and what skills did you take from that role that tra- that uh, you carry on over to your current uh, position? Mm-hmm. It was a huge experience for me, what I did with the Silver Knights, because that was my first real play-by-play gig. I'd done a few in college, um, just here and there for the sports teams at Emerson, but I played softball, so that took up a lot of my time. I did not have really any play-by-play experience. I had a little bit of games sideline reporting, a little bit of games as a color analyst, but being a play-by-play broadcaster, you need so many reps to get become even mediocre, let alone good or great. To be mediocre, you need a lot of reps. And I didn't have any. So being able to do play-by-play for the Silver Knights was huge for me, not only with reps, but also to be able to have a professional reel where I was able to put that together. It was decent enough that I felt comfortable sending out to teams. And that was how I ended up here in Visalia. Now, and this is just for me, uh, say that I don't know, I mean, I do know, but Mm -hmm. if, say, hypothetically speaking, maybe I uh, have no idea about, uh, you know, baseball or anything, and I wanted to get into play-by-play, how do you, what are some of the things that you uh, initially did to kind of gain those skills? When uh, Mm -hmm. did it, did those come from when you were younger? What experiences did you draw upon? And like, how, how does that all work, the play-by-play? Because mm-hmm. that's something I've always been curious about. Like, I... Right. It's, for me, my journey was unconventional with not doing a lot of play-by-play in college. So for those who are aspiring to be broadcasters, even in high school, middle school, college, just start reaching out to local teams. And maybe they have a broadcaster already. You can ask, hey, can I sit in and shadow? Or can I just sit in the stands and talk into a recorder or talk into my phone so that way you can listen back. Because like I said earlier, it's all about reps. You need to have as many reps as you can, as many games, even if it's not on air, even if no one else hears it except yourself. You need to be able to work on that and just keep improving. So saying, just being able to put yourself out there and reach out to SIDs at high school, college, things like that, just trying to See if you can make an in there. And then once you become a little bit older, say college, you can reach out to these summer collegiate baseball teams. They need media interns where you can start learning the ins and outs of broadcasting and PR. So there's a lot of different ways to break into the industry, but not a lot of people talk about it. It's a very niche community. Um. Yes, I uh, mentor with um, Rachel Balkovac, uh, mm-hmm. and um, she's been telling me the same exact thing because it's yeah, it's a quite a wild journey as a female trying to break into sports. Um, and as you are well aware, you uh, so you also not only do you do the play by play for uh, the raw hides, but you also run all of their social media accounts. You I mean, do it all, write press releases, you coordinate media interviews, you assist with event planning. Um, Is that something that uh, you, is that all, all of that responsibility something that you've done from the beginning with your time? 
uh, at, with the rawhides, or is that a responsibility that you gained uh, as your as your time with the organization has gone on? Mm-hmm. Um, I've always helped out a little bit everywhere from the beginning. That's just kind of the nature of minor league baseball. But my main uh, responsibilities were broadcasting and PR and a little bit of marketing with helping with design a little bit and helping with social media. This year, I'm taking on a lot more because we have less staff members. We had three people who are not joining us again this season. So I'm taking over a lot more in the marketing department where I am running all of the social media by myself. I have people that I can go to to ask questions and can help with design and can help with figuring out promotions and sponsorships. But it's kind of up to me at the end of the day. So that's a lot more responsibilities with events and community relations. I'm not in charge of those this year, but I'm definitely helping out where I can. And I also help sell sponsorships. Uh, that is, and I mean, <clears throat> if uh, you could see me, I'm silently applauding you because it's just an <laughs> immense amount of things that you do. I'm just, again, you're just an astounding individual. Thank you. Um, yes. So you did uh so jennifer reynolds uh she played a part in you getting the position with visalia did it uh, what did it mean to be given this opportunity and what can be done to what could be done to have the more opportunities like this for people of color and women mm-hmm. in uh in baseball yeah it's I mean, I'm forever grateful to Jen for hiring me. Um, She's no longer with the ball club anymore. She's out of baseball because it's hard when she has two kids to be the general manager of a team. And I have the utmost respect for her. And I'm, again, forever grateful to her for hiring me and for having my back in a lot of situations. Um, In terms of how do we need to see women being hired, I think it's there's a lot of steps to it. But the first one is girls need to know that they can do this. Little girls need to be able to see women and hear women doing play-by-play where they can say, oh, I want to do that. And they don't even have to second guess in their mind, am I allowed to do that? That's the first step. And in order to make them be able to see women and hear women doing this, we need to actually hire women to do this. So it's a lot of particularly white men are applying for these positions because that's just what it has always been. So it's, it's a hard thing where we need people to hire women and people of color, but also we need more women and people of color to be able to do this such as they actually can go to school for it. They can actually financially handle being a broadcaster because a lot of teams it's internships to begin with or they're not being able to pay you a lot because it's only seasonal or only hourly. So there's a lot of issues just in the industry because of it, that it's really hard for people to be able to break into it because of socioeconomic reasons. Now, I wanted to, and I, because I, I, I forgot to ask this uh, about uh, it earlier, but when uh, you were getting, uh, I'm going to go back to the athletic article. When you were getting when uh, you were getting into the league, uh, you asked, you know, the f- a few women when you uh, 
a few women, how safe do you feel? And that really struck me because I know that there's been, I mean, I am just small potatoes, like a foot soldier on the uh, bigger, in the bigger scheme of uh, women in baseball. But um, I know that just the little experience that I've had, I've held, I had moments when I felt unsafe. Had there been any significant moments where you felt unsafe? I mean, out, outside of your previous experiences when you were mm -hmm. younger. Yeah. In terms of the sports world, I've never felt unsafe. I never felt like someone was going to physically hurt me. But there were times that things were said to me and I went into my booth and cried. And it wasn't because what they said hurt me emotionally. It was because it pissed me the hell off because I'm so frustrated that people still think that way and that they think that like they have the audacity to speak to me that way. That's where I really struggle in the emotional side of it because I'm supposed to stay calm, cool, and collected when I really just want to like burn the whole thing down. <laughs> um, so that's where I've struggled. I've never felt um, in danger or unsafe, but I've had negative comments said to me that really angered me. So you're saying that uh, the comments, yeah, I mean, I agree. It's uh, every day. There's at least a few people in my inbox saying I have no business talking about baseball, mm -hmm. which uh, it is unfortunate. It's, it's unfortunate. Um, what would you, if you could tell your younger self anything that you like, seeing as though you've gained all of this experience and knowledge now, if you could tell your younger self anything, what would it be? Hmm. Don't let anyone bring you down. Um, because I've allowed myself to be brought down from comments, whether it was from visiting players, people on social media, um, former coworkers, things like that really did affect me. And I wish that I could go back and tell myself it's not you, it's them. There's absolutely nothing wrong with you. And I think there were a few times in college and in the beginning of my career at the Rawhide where I felt like I needed to hide, where I felt like I needed to blend in. And now that I'm a few years older, I'm sitting here thinking, no, like I need to embrace my womanhood. I need to embrace who I am and be unapologetically confident about it because I'm pretty cool. Like I'm doing really cool things. I know my stuff. And I'm also a good person who's here to help the players and help my coworkers and help the fans. And there is no reason why I should be apologizing or hiding in the background. Now, how, um, seeing as though I, you work in a male dominated industry, how has, um, has, has that fact informed the way that you've conducted yourself uh, on the day-to-day? -day? Have you avoided doing certain things or, you know, just um, has that just impacted you as a person significantly? Yeah, I think I've, I'm just very aware of what I'm doing. Um, you don't want to give off the quote-unquote wrong message to people. Um, you, in, it's more so in the day-to-day -day of season. In the off-season, I'm with my coworkers, and right now I'm the only woman in the office, and it's like it's a bro-fest, but I'm a part of the bros, so it's okay. I don't have to feel like I have to put on this facade or anything. But during season, when we're around fans and I'm around visiting players, 
and our players, I'm very aware of how I act where you don't want to cross the friendship line too much. I'm always aware of what I'm wearing and how I'm conducting myself, where in the beginning of the season in 2019, I was uncomfortable wearing shorts. I was going to wear pants all season long. I didn't care how hot it got. And about two weeks in, I was like, nope, it's too hot. It gets 100 degrees here very quickly. I'm sweating. I need to wear shorts. But I was very aware of how I wanted to present myself, and which is a good thing. In any professional environment, you want to be aware of that. But I was definitely hypersensitive because I'm a woman. So when you um, go about your prep for the season and pregame prep, what resources do you do you pull from? And uh, in your job role, what programs do you utilize the most? So in, in terms of programs that I use, I'll use Photoshop and, you know, all the Adobe features a, a lot, but we got a, a graphics person who is much better at it than I am, so I don't use it as much. Um, but a day-to-day -day for in-season, it's really more so occasionally in design, and then I use a lot of word. <laughs> I, I use word to get all my notes together and things like that. Um, it's nothing super special. Minor league baseball, major league baseball has a portal where you can print all of the stats you could ever possibly want. And so it's really just me printing a lot of pages to get ready for a game. Um, what would you say is, um, one of the more important skills uh, a player could have that um, makes them a good like offensive producer and then a good good with their defense. Uh, for hitting, to me, everything is timing. If a player's if a hitter's timing is on, you're going to be doing fine. Um, that's just my opinion from my playing and coaching days and seeing how guys work and they're always working on timing where a pitcher is going to have a great change up a great breaking ball they're going to have different delivery patterns and if you can control what you can control and be on time you're going to be successful in terms of defense it's I mean just having good instincts I think is really important knowing having an internal clock knowing, okay, no, I can't go to second. I need to go to first. Just having that natural instinct is so important. And it's not something that everyone has. You can be a really good athlete, but having that baseball instinct and high baseball IQ is invaluable. Uh, so high, ba what, what do you mean by high baseball IQ? Uh, like understanding the, the situation at all times, you'll see some mental mistake, mistakes sometimes with not understanding what you need to do as a player. So, and, and I mean, again, this is me kind of talking from playing and coaching days. Baseball people might think I'm stupid or I, I don't know, but this is just from me personally. I think it's when a runner is on second or third and there's less than two outs go to the right side of the field because that's going to help them score. Because when you hit it to the right side, it's a longer throw. It's more difficult. The second baseman is just going to go ahead and throw it to first to get the out. 
unless the infield is in, then you have different situations. It's being able to read the defense and know what you at the plate need to do in order to complete your job in that at bat. Um, and part of that is just learning naturally through college, through the hitting coaches in your organization and in the majors and minors, but it's not something that everyone can grasp easily. And then in, with, with defense, with the high IQ, it's knowing what's going on and being able to anticipate the next thing where, okay, if this happens, I'm throwing the first, but what if I throw the first and then this happens, where do I need to go? Because in baseball, it's reactive, but you can plan in how you will react. Now, um, pardon me for not doing my due diligence, but is uh, Visalia impacted by the uh, rule, uh, the, uh, some of the rule changes that they, they implemented in minor league baseball this season? Are they impacted by the experimenting with like banning the shift rule? Yes. So banning the shift is not for us. The, the Rawhide, we're in the low A West. So I believe low A, the rule is now they're limiting the amount of pickoffs and step-offs, where I think it's only two per at-bat, where if you do step off or have a pickoff attempt on your third, your third attempt, the, bat, the runner needs to be out, otherwise it's a balk. Um, and then, and specifically the low A West League, we're going to have a 15-second pitch clock, um, which... The, I think, you know, it's fine. The, the minors is, I guess, where you're supposed to experiment. We can't just experiment at the major league level. So it'll be interesting to see how these players react. But again, we have these guys are right out of high school and college where their first step in the in their professional career. So they're just going to be OK with it. They're just going to have to adapt and that's they'll have to deal with it. Um. How do you feel that, um, what are some of the, have there been some rules that they've experimented with that have like been successful or that that experiment has gone successful? Um, and what are some of the rules that you're really not down with or really not, really not a fan of? Mm -hmm. Um, I, being an American league fan, I personally don't care if the DH becomes, or comes to the National League, I don't think, I personally don't care because that's what I grew up with. I understand there's a lot of strategy behind having your pitchers hit, and that is really cool and really fun to watch and to think about. But I, I'm okay with the DH becoming universal. Um, some other rules that have happened in the minors and that we saw in 2020 with the shortened season in Major League Baseball was the uh, runner on second in extra innings. And I personally am okay with that because that's what it is in collegiate softball. So I was used to that from playing days and it does make things more interesting. It makes things a little bit more intense. Um, I know people don't like it because of stats and whatnot, but I mean, I personally, again, don't have an issue with it. The, the one rule that I don't know if I'll get on board with is the um, automatic umpire. I just, if it can be perfected, I can get behind it, but I like the human aspect of baseball. Um, you have to adjust to different umpires every game, and that's kind of a part of baseball, so I do like that part of it. Um, 
you know, I'm not, I'm not paid enough to actually make those kind of decisions by any means, but I think I would have a hard time getting behind the automatic umpires. And I know some players have a hard time with it as well, with many different reasons behind that. So we'll see. Um, what are some players that you've gotten to know and uh, work with that you've seen uh, go on to find success in the major leagues? So I haven't had any players that I've broadcasted make it to the majors yet. However, one of the guys from 2019 did make it to the 40-man roster, and his name is Geraldo Perdomo. I'm really excited to see him with the Diamondbacks. I think he's um, projected to be with them at some point this season. I don't believe he's starting with them this season because he technically hasn't even had a double A or triple A season yet. Um, so I think he's starting in Reno, our triple A affiliate, and he'll be up with the Diamondbacks by before the end of the 2021 season. Um, another player that I think will see a lot of great success is Josh Green. He's a right-handed pitcher out of Louisiana and he is just really good. He's a sinker ball pitcher. He induces a lot of ground outs. He moved up to double A at the end of 2019 and he's made it to the big league camp before, but he will probably start the season in triple A just like Prodomo will. And I, Josh, I think will be up by 2021, but definitely by 2022. Uh, what are some other prospects that you're really excited about or that you've seen that you hope to um, that you hope to uh, see on the uh, 40 man roster or the 26 man roster one day? Yeah, I mean, I, I've been excited about Josh Green since day one. Um, another one is Alec Thomas. He ended the year with us like Perdomo in 2019 and he'll probably start the season and I think he'll start in double a maybe triple a i think he'll start in double a and then be moved up to triple a fairly quickly and i mean he's only 21 or no he'll be 21 in april so he's still young um i think he'll be up there by 2022 2023 if something weird happens like an injury or something weird happens with covid um yeah alex thomas is another big one that i've had the pleasure of broadcasting Now, last season uh, or last year, when um, you found out they can't, uh, when it, it came out that they were can't, they was going to be no minor league season. Uh, how did that impact you and the others around you? Personally, it was really heartbreaking. This is going to be the first summer that I wasn't at the ballpark. I've been playing softball or working in baseball since I was six years old. And every summer I was at a ballpark, but that wasn't going to be the case this year. So I think it was really hard for me because baseball and softball is kind of my identity. I've always been the softball girl in college and now I'm the girl that works in baseball. So it was really difficult for me to feel like a part of my identity was gone. Um, in terms of other people around me, broadcasters, I'm friends with a lot of minor league broadcasters, and we're just heartbroken that our livelihoods kind of got messed up. And not only our livelihoods, but just our abilities as broadcasters, because like I've said multiple times now in this interview, reps are so important. And to lose an entire season of games where you could improve immensely in those 100 and 
40 games, it's, it's really hard to be able to, to swallow that you're going to lose that opportunity to improve. So in terms of broadcasting, that's where we felt. And then with the rawhide, it just really sucked that we won the championship in 2019 and we couldn't celebrate it here in Visalia in 2020. Also, we have new ownership that took over the ball club in 2020 and their first year as a minor league owner is washed because of COVID and we're figuring out how to be able to stay afloat because we did lose a lot of money and we're a lot of teams are financially hurting because of that. So 2020 and COVID has affected this entire world in so many different ways. And baseball is just one of those groups that it was really affected that has really affected, but um, you know, we're still here and we're excited for 2021. Um, what, uh, for you personally, what do you think are the most important attributes that you have that, uh, have contributed to your success? Huh. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm a team player. Um, I think that's a big part of minor league baseball is yes, I'm the broadcaster, but to be honest, that's probably the least important thing that goes on in this ballpark during a game. And I'm aware of that. And I'm here to help in any other way that the staff and the team needs. So I'm here to help people. Um, I want this team to do well. I want our front office to do well. So I'm going to help out anywhere possible. Uh, I think I'm also a, a fairly quick learner. I can figure things out pretty quickly. Um, and then in terms of broadcasting, I am willing to ask for help. I'm willing to ask for critiques and work on it and practice. And I think that's why um, people want to help me when you reach out to a major league broadcaster and start to make a connection and try to start a professional relationship. They, they want to see someone who wants to improve, who loves this game and who's going to continue to foster that relationship. So I think those are the three things that have definitely helped me just be successful in this industry. Uh, if you could, um, I know I asked what advice would you give your younger self, but for any aspiring up and coming or hopeful up and comers uh, that are hoping to get into play by play or um, that are hoping to work in a similar capacity to what you do, um, what advice would you give them and are there any specific steps you think uh, that you would tell them to take? Mm -hmm. um, the first thing I would tell an aspiring broadcaster is prepare for a grind. It's a long season. You work long hours. You have a blast doing it. It is so much fun. I love my job, but I am exhausted <laughs> after each work day. Um, so that's the first just kind of warning, I guess, not to deter them, but to mentally prepare them. And advice that I would give is say yes to things that even might not be exactly what you want. Of course, make sure that you can financially afford it and it's good for your mental health. But say yes, you never know where it's going to end up, where even if you don't like it, and even if you might not like the company that you work at, you're still going to learn something from that job, even if it's as small as, well, I don't like sales, I don't want to do sales again, at least you know. 
And you have that experience where you can become more valuable because of that. Um, I think those are the two biggest things I would tell for an aspiring broadcaster. And in terms of steps to take, it's again, saying yes to things, reaching out to people, fostering relationships and networking is so, so important, but it's not just reaching out and being like, hi, can you help me? It's, I want this relationship to be mutually beneficial. And it's hard because as even for me as a minor league broadcaster, what can I do for a major league broadcaster? Maybe not much, but maybe I can get an interview for a minor league player that they can use for a pregame or postgame show. Maybe I'm going to be at spring training one year and I want to take them out to have a beer or have a coffee and get to know them a little bit better. You never know what you could end up doing for someone else. So you want to foster that relationship and not just think of how can they help me, but what can I do for them too? Um, so at this point in your career, um, I know that you are uh, doing play-by-play for Visalia. Um, do you, what are some of your uh, career, career aspirations down the road? Like what do you, envi- what hopefully do you envision yourself uh, doing in yeah. the future? I want to be the voice of a major league baseball team. That's my end goal. That's why I'm working so hard and I, that's where I want to be. Um, I specifically have realized that I want to be the voice of a team, not just do national games because I like the relationships I can foster with the fans and with the teams and get to know both on a, more personal level. Um, Of course, if ESPN comes knocking on my door, I'm not going to say no, but it's one of those things that I've realized from being the voice of the Rawhide that I really like that personal relationship with the fans and with the players. And again, growing up, I listened to Red Sox broadcasts and they came into my living room every single day while I was doing homework. And I want to be that person for another fan where I'm being invited into their living room at night while they're cooking or eating or doing work. I, I want to be that, that voice that they have on in the background. All right. Well, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Um, Jill, where can they, uh, where can uh, they find you on Twitter and on Instagram? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So both are the same handle. It's at Jill Guerin, J-I-L-L-G-E-A-R-I-N, all lowercase, no numbers, punctuation, super easy. All right. Um, And you said opening day for you guys is in May. Yep. May 4th. And we're, we're excited. It's a sprint. We're getting a lot done and much little, way less time than what we we were used to. Well, I am looking forward to being able to listen to you broadcast. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Yeah, thank uh, you so much, Michelle. You're very welcome. All right, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in for this episode of Astros Baseball Podcast. Do not forget that uh, we still have that giveaway uh, where you will win a t-shirt from Ram shirts and a custom dugout mug. Get your submissions in email Astros baseball podcast at gmail.com. Include the phrase, let's go in your email and March 28th, we will be doing a giveaway show. So you will find out if you are the winner then. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I'll catch you next time.
Thanks for listening to this episode of Astros Baseball. Be sure to subscribe to be alerted when there's a new episode.